Radio Pulpit fans, you are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit with me, Mark Penrith, your host. I am from, and you are used to hearing me say, Crystal Park Baptist Church, which is in Benoni. But starting from the 1st of January, I'm from Central Baptist Church in Pretoria, where I serve the local church, caring for the souls of men and changing the light bulbs as and when necessary. A shout out to everyone listening in from the hood in Arcadia as well as in Ferry Glen and elsewhere recognizing that Radio Pulpit, the station friends listen in from all over South Africa. So whether you are in Springs or in Alberton or in Milneton or in Stellenbosch or in Soweto or in Daar or Blum it is good to have you listening in this morning. Listener Table Talk is your opportunity to join the conversation and you do that as you engage in real time in with real people on real issues that face the church in South Africa and so we will be answering your questions and your answers live on air this morning so as we speak do engage do send through questions that you might have or comments that are on your mind how can you do that <laughs> you might ask can I encourage you to write the following telephone number down I would very much new year new resolutions 2022 I want to hear your voice this is the studio line for radio pulpit it is 012-334-1322 I'm looking forward to hearing from you um, but at the same time, I can uh, engage with you on Facebook. You can throw comments down into the Facebook feed. I believe that is going out already. Our Facebook page is Radio Pulpit Radio Console. You can also send through a voice note on WhatsApp and on Telegram. The telephone number there is 0826572729. Always love hearing WhatsApps from Gogo Hanna and from others. And if you are a twit, you can tweet on Twitter and the handle is at 657am. Um, actually, right now, why don't you drop a hello on whatever platform you are on, whatever you use, so that we know that you are out there. Say hi on Facebook. Uh, give, it a, give us a how's it on WhatsApp. We will recognize you uh, on air. Send us a WhatsApp on Twitter. I'm always curious to see if anybody on Twitter actually engages. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. On the controls this morning, pressing all the buttons and making sure that the lights stay on is our co-laborer in the ministry. Uh, Maxwell, morning brother, thank you so much for joining us in this task. The platforms that you can engage with us on are 657 AM Radio Pulpit, 729 AM Radio Cape Pulpit. You can engage, as I said, on Facebook, that is Radio Pulpit Radio Console. We are on DSTV Channel 882, on OpenView Channel 607, and you can stream directly from the website www.radiopulpit.co. Dot za. It is good to be with you in 2022. I'm just thinking of the date today. It is the 7th, which means this is my first show uh, live on air in 2022. And I can't even remember um, if there was a fr if this is the first Friday in 2022. Uh, Maxwell's going to nod if it is, or he's going to shake his head if it isn't. Uh, he is looking up on a calendar equally as confused. Um, uh, this is the first Friday 
in 2022. And so first opportunities for new beginnings to engage with us live on air. I'm looking forward to your questions and your answers. This morning, folk, I'm hoping that we can start an ongoing discussion on the theology of, wait for it now, ecclesiology. If we were in a church service, I'd say, uh, touch your neighbor on the shoulder and say ecclesiology. That is your word for the day. It's a crazy theological word, which really means the church. It's it's the, the doctrine of the church. It's the study of the church. What is the church? What makes the church um, work? Where, where does the church get its mandate from? What should the church look like? Who should lead the church? Um, who should preach in a church? Um, uh, what is the responsibilities, the roles and the responsibilities of members in the church of God? A good friend of mine, Conrad Mbewe, who's a pastor up north of us in Zambia, has written a book. The book is called God's Design for the Church, a Guide for African Pastors and Ministry Leaders. I read it in three days. I couldn't put it down. It's a weighty book. It's um, 272 pages. Um, The reason why I could read it so quickly is because I was on holiday through the whole of December, which means I was down in Jeffrey's Bay. I got to be sitting on the beach with no shoes on while my kids frolicked in the waves, and I could cover... Uh, the 274, 76 pages um, with ease. Um, and one of the reasons why it was so well written, other than the fact that I have time on my hands in December and I could read it quickly, uh, is that it is written in the kind of English, the kind of language which makes it readable. Um, Conrad has written this book so it could be read. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I went through it, I, I realized that there is so much about the church that we do need to talk on. We need to engage on. So wherever you are in South Africa right now, I'm hoping you're listening to Radio Pulpit because you're either a believer, you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you want to grow in your Christian faith. And so you you tuning into Radio Pulpit in order to to really eat some meat, learn more from God's word, or if you're an unbeliever, you're moving toward faith. Yeah, you have a desire to hear uh, about this person, Jesus Christ, to hear about this word that God has given us, the Bible, um, and you're wanting to engage with this conversation um, with us this morning. And the church is something which is incredibly important. Um, to the life of a believer if you're listening in right now and you are not in a local church let me tell you why you should get in a local church number one we are commanded in the book of hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 i'm going there because that's the number that's on my mind right now we are commanded to not give up meeting together and to encourage one another to do that even more so as we see the day approaching and that idea of meeting together uh, in the Greek is in actual fact um, comes from the Greek word synagogue, synagoguing together. Uh, it's the idea of meeting together corporately, together as a community on the Lord's Day. Synagoguing, obviously, uh, in Old Testament times would have been the Sabbath on the Saturday. Uh, believers very early on in the book of Acts started to meet on the first day of the week. Um, and we are commanded to not give up synagoguing together, um, even more so as we see the day approaching. And 
whilst I don't want to talk about future things right now because that always takes the conversation on a right track. Um, but the reality is surely as we look around at our world, we see the mess that we're in. We see the sin. We see the problems. <laughs> we see biblical prophecy fulfilled but before our very eyes or at least coming together in a way that it could be fulfilled soon Um, and as we see all of these things happening friends we do need to be encouraging one another to join churches uh, and to to connect in meaningful ways with places where we can be discipled that really is kind of where I wanted to start in terms of discussing uh, this ongoing discussion around um, uh, around the church uh, we are starting to get some folk coming on uh, via uh, whatsapp uh, greeting us so roland eskenazi it is great uh, f- that you are joining us this morning thanks so much uh, roland says thanks mark greetings from belgium um from roland uh, roland i can't believe that you've beaten all the south africans to a greeting <laughs> just kind of tragic um, and yet I know that there are folk that are listening in looking forward to hearing from you and looking forward to hearing your questions about the church Conrad as he opens his book um, opens it up by asking the question really what is the church and I think that that is a, a great place for us to start this morning in terms of just discussing what the church actually is listen I want to give you an incentive to call in and to ask your questions this morning so Emmy uh, who's joining us from Johannesburg which has said uh, good morning on whatsapp thank you so much for that um, I want to give you a reason to call in this morning And the reason is this, I actually have five copies of the book, God's Design for the Church, a Guide for African Pastors and Ministry Leaders, written by Conrad Mbewe, that have been sponsored to us by a organization called Imprint. Uh, Imprint is a familiar name on our show. We often have heard um, from our friend Tommy van der Volt, uh, who has often come on to talk about the subject um, of uh, the church. He's often come on and spoken about things like um, uh, the nine marks of a healthy church, whether that be membership or church discipline or church leadership or biblical theology and a number of other things. Um, Tommy has sponsored a number of books um, to the show and I am able to give away five copies this morning. And the five copies that I want to give away are to five people that call into the studio line. Let me, now you've got an incentive to call in because I'm really giving this book a pitch, um, but now you have an incentive to call in. Let me remind you of what the number is. It is 012-334-1322, and Maxwell stands at the ready, <laughs> waiting to receive you, uh, callers. So to those who have greeted us, uh, please do let me encourage you uh, to dial in this morning. Let me say that Conrad starts off with the question, what is the church and he starts off by giving an analogy that he grew up going to church he grew up going to church and has memories of the local church even from his earliest childhood 
Uh, he recalls being helped getting dressed up into his Sunday best and being shepherded into the family car and going with his parents and his siblings to church. And he remembers Sunday school stories. He remembers stories like Samson and Delilah, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, Moses and Pharaoh and well, all manner of stories about Jesus Christ, uh, his miracles and his work and his teachings and his sacrificial death. He, he remembers uh, his pastor, the eloquence of his pastor, um, uh, the, the idea of preaching on a Sunday and some stage halfway through the sermon on a Sunday morning, uh, the whole church would break out into song uh, at kind of the high point of the pastor's sermon. Um, and I've experienced that as I've gone to churches in Daverton and in Tembisa and visited friends um, where song is an act plays an active role of the preaching process he then says that that really defined uh, in terms of his background what church was for him as a youngster and certainly pre-salvation it was a place uh, it was a building it was where you went in your best clothes to meet people in their best clothes and to hear wonderful bible stories but many years later he began to understand that the church was not in fact a building um, it wasn't even a place. It was a gathered people. Um, you know, when, when I think of the word church, uh, my understandings have been informed through the New Testament writers. And I even think of the Greek word which we use um, and is translated into English as church. The Greek word ekklesia, it's where we get that funny theological term ecclesia from. Ekklesia, it, it means the called out ones or the gathered ones or the assembly. That's who we are as the church. We are a gathering. In actual fact, I mean, there is a sense that you can't be a Christian unless you are connected to the church. And the church is a gathering. It is at once a universal gathering which you join upon salvation. You are connected in a way with every believer throughout all time in every place. Um, and at every time, I already said time, so time and geography um, and every culture and language and tongue you're joined together with everybody who's placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior at salvation we join what we call the universal church but in terms of the use of the word church in God's word it far more refers to a local gathering of believers. So, for instance, if you think of your New Testament Bible, you can even open it up right now and turn to the index. Uh, you get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of history, Acts. And, and then you begin a series of books that are written not to buildings or even to cities, but rather to churches which are gathered, assembled in cities. So, the Church of Rome the church of Corinth, the church of Ephesus, of um, Philippi, of Colossae, of Thessalonica. All of these are churches. They are gatherings of people that, that God uh, writes his word to uh, through human authors, whether that be Paul or others. 
if you turn, flip over the pages a little bit, you get to the book of Revelation. book of Revelation starts with three chapters, doesn't it? And the, the second chapter and the third chapter contain seven letters to seven churches, seven local manifestations and gatherings of churches, whether that be the church of Simra or the church of um, uh, Pergamum or the church of Laodicea. These were churches, local gatherings, communities of God's people. The church is incredibly important to God. Both the universal church, uh, that body of believers uh, that have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, as well as the local manifestations of those bodies. Even as I look at my dashboard, it's starting to light up with a number of other people uh, sending in greetings. Uh, I love Jane's uh, uh, greeting. She says she is listening while hanging up some washing. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, Thank you so much for joining. Natasha says that she is listening in from Boxburg. Uh, Folk from the east, whether you be in Boxburg, Brackpan or Springs, it's good to have you with us. Enjoy your weekend and be blessed, uh, a child of God. Uh, Thanks. Uh, Thanks so much for that message, Natasha. as we go through it, I see uh, Helena says, by a donkey, uh, great to have Afrikaans listeners and other language listeners. And Nsekalelo uh, says, good day and asks for prayer. And I certainly will be praying for you. Um, uh, uh, thank you for sending through your message. I do see that there is a WhatsApp message uh, from Dorothy. I'm going to see if we can play it. It is going to play now. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. My name is Dorothy. I would like to know if age does matter when it comes to leading the church. Can a person of 18 years old lead a church? Can a person of 18 years old lead a church? Dorothy, that is... um, that's a fascinating question, and so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm actually going to open up my Bible, and I'm going to open it up to 1 Timothy, which is the qualifications uh, for an elder. I'm going to read through them, because I think that will at least ground us in what God's Word says, and then we are going to go to another place uh, in the book of Timothy as we go about answering that question. Thank you so much for, for answering it, and Dorothy I seem to remember that I interacted with you last year, which makes you a frequent listener. And so if I had an applause button, I would push it right now. It is good to have you with us again in 2022. Listen to what God's Word says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy. In other words, this can be believed. And also, this is important. Whenever you see that word, the saying is trustworthy in God's word, it means that what comes next is important. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Two different words there. Um, aspire, this internal desire to be an overseer and he desires a noble task being an external grasping um, toward uh, that, uh, that, that role therefore the overseer and uh, now it's talking about an overseer or a, a bishop, a biskopos this is an interchangeable word in the New Testament with pastor uh, poimon as well as presbyteros and being elder so those three words are used interchangeably in the New Testament therefore the this overseer must be above reproach in other words he, he must be of noble character and this is an over 
arcing characteristic qualification of the man of God. He must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife, which might mean already we're starting to talk to this idea of an 18-year-old um, being the primary teaching elder of a a church Paul kind of anticipates that a person at this stage would be a husband and he must be a husband of one wife in other words he must be a one woman man this doesn't necessarily mean that an unmarried man can't be an elder I mean I know certain godly men who at 30 and 35 haven't yet married however you kind of expect uh, I think Paul is expecting the person to have reached an age of maturity where they have married at this stage but he must be sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable and able to teach all of those are qualifications of a mature man and let me say I know some 18 year olds who certainly bear those qualities in the way that they conduct themselves he must not be a drunkard um, and that's he must not be given to wine a person who overly consumes alcohol he mustn't be the kind of guy that goes on a pub crawl on a Saturday night and then kind of comes to church on a Sunday that would be ridiculous in terms of somebody who is spiritually mature he must not be violent but gentle I like the King James it says pugnacious at that point which is a word we never use nowadays um, but he mustn't be violent or gentle not quarrelsome is the pugnacious part uh, not a lover of money in other words he mustn't be a greedy man <laughs> that disqualifies about 50% of the pastors uh, in South Africa right there but <laughs> not a lover of money he must manage his own household well and household year would be uh, everybody within the context of a family as well as everything that happens within the context uh, of a home and um, so financial and relational and all of these things must be managed well with all dignity keeping his children submissive again anticipating that this is a mature man who, who has children uh, who are at the gathering uh, they must be submissive they mustn't be known as rebels shaking their fists for if someone does not know how to manage his household how will he care for God's church in other words what we want to have seen in a future elder um, a future overseer a future pastor of God's church is someone who has had the opportunity of managing their own household and does that really really well so that we can see in the way that they conduct themselves in that way um, a person who will be able to manage God's household and take care of the oversight responsibilities which come which taking care of a gathering of God's people now in verse 5 this becomes really important uh, verse 6 sorry he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil and moreover he must be thought well thought of by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil and here we have again this idea of maturity and not just maturity in terms of of uh, spiritual maturity but maturity in terms of age he, he must not be a recent convert in other words some time must have passed from from the time that he professed Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior and the time uh, that we recognize him as a leader of God's church and there are so many practical reasons why you want that to happen um, I've seen over and over again 
um, young men in their late teens or early 20s who have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. But in reality, as time has gone past, they have fallen away from the faith. And so you want there to be a time of testing, a, a, a time of, of building a track record so that that overarching qualification of the man of God, he should be above repute, repute um, wouldn't be brought uh, into any kind of, um, of disrepute uh, so that you've got a time to test the man. There's another passage of scripture which relates to the qualifications of elders, and it's very, very similar to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But since you asked the question, Dorothy, and it's a great question, can an 18-year-old um, be an elder or be a pastor of a church? Um, one, uh, uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 5 to 9 says the following. Uh, first of all, Paul says, hey, um, Titus, I've left you at Crete. That's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea so that you might put... Uh, what remained into order. In other words, there's something that Paul hasn't done on the island of Crete, and that's appoint elders. Now, this time it's a different word. If you remember back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we spoke about overseer. I said that the Greek word there is uh, episkopos. It is the idea of the bishop. Um, that's where we get the, the word bishop from. Um, but now the word is appoint elders. This is the Greek word presbyteros, uh, an elder, a person of, 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 normally actually spoke to an older person in terms of the common use of the word, but in terms of God's word, this elder becomes one of uh, repute, a mature believer within the context of the local church, and very specifically in Titus chapter 1, a person who bears an office, and that office, again, is an interchangeable word with bishop and with pastor. This, this elder is a leader of the church. And what it says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In other words, there needs to be elders, that's plural, in every town, that's singular. And so we get the idea of a plurality of elders uh, in each local church from this and other texts in God's word. It says in verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, again, can you hear that same overarching qualification for the man of God, above reproach? That means if you threw mud at him, it wouldn't stick. That's a, <laughs> that's a metaphor. It means that there's no public sin that everybody knows about, scandal in this man's life. No, no, this man is, is mature spiritually and he's known as being mature spiritually uh, amongst all the brethren in the local church the husband of one wife there we see that qualification again and his children are believers now this is slightly different in terms of the qualification uh, to Titus who is in Crete uh, as opposed to Timothy who is in Ephesus and it might well be that Crete was a, a very established church it, it had been planted very early on in the missionary journeys and it might be that the church because it was established early on has reached the stage where even the elders um, uh, amongst God's people um, are older their children are older and you can choose and select and elect men from amongst the brethren who, whose children are already have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, as opposed to Ephesus, which is a much a much younger community, 
um, a much newer church plant where maybe there aren't believing children uh, amongst the men who are qualified. That's one possible interpretation of verse 6. And not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. In other words, this is a person who, who is known by the community as, as, a, as a good follower. <laughs> Friends, can, can I say good leaders in the church of God are good followers first. Um, you do not want to lead, be led by a man who has an inability to follow. Um, uh, men who are approved and appointed as elders are, are not open to the charge of debauchery, which would be rampant sin, uh, often sexually uh, linked uh, in the New Testament, or insubordination. In other words, they're not grumblers, complainers, uh, people who undermine the leadership of the local church. For an overseer, now this is interesting. Did you notice the change in gear here in terms of the way that Paul is speaking? Um, he starts off by saying the appointment of elders and now he goes about and talks about the overseer. In other words, uh, these two words are interchangeable. The elder, the presbyteros, the older man, is interchangeable with the um, episcopos, the, the bishop, the overseer, the person who manages God's, God's household. The overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must be blameless. Um, he must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. There's that whole connection between the church of God, the man of God, he who would be pastor, overseer, bishop, um, uh, elder in God's church, and this divorcing from from greed, from from attention for from on money. He must be hospitable which is such an interesting qualification in in my cultural context, which is quite individual individualistic. Um, but the elder needs to be a hospitable man, a lover of good. He needs to be self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may able be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Now, maybe just to emphasize the end of Titus's message, the person who serves as a elder within the context of a local church, a pastor within the context of the local church, needs to be able to teach. That doesn't just mean that he can tell a story <laughs> at the front of the gathering on a Sunday. It means that he should be able to open God's word, <laughs> read God's word, explain God's word to God's people and apply God's word into the lives of the people that he is serving. Um, in other words, he needs to have gone through a time of training. Now that doesn't mean that an 18-year-old can't be trained, but in our cultural context, often a, a man who's 18 has spent a great deal of time going through 12 years of uh, education, he's gone through primary education, he's gone through tertiary education, and he hasn't been able to apply himself to both the reading and to the study of God's Word. Um, the elder needs to understand how God's Word fits together <laughs> from the beginning all the way to the end. He needs to understand theology proper, the, the, the theology of the person and the work of Almighty God, his attributes and, and how they work out in his Word. He needs to understand something of the Trinity, how the persons of the Godhead relate one to another. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, and yet the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. He needs to understand the the individuals uh, within the Trinity and how the Trinity is one God in three persons. 
he needs to understand something of the doctrine of Christology, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, um, who Jesus is, what Jesus did. He needs to understand the doctrine of salvation, the great and glorious doctrine of salvation, um, by which we honor and give glory to our Father in heaven. He needs to understand substitutionary atonement, and uh, he needs to understand um, you know, words like penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, he, he needs to understand um, uh, the difference between an Arminian system and a Calvinistic system, <laughs> what those two systems might hold to, and uh, what what their differences are, and and he needs to have positions on these kinds of things. You would expect the elder to be able to instruct sound doctrine. By by sound doctrine, uh, I, I mean wholesome teaching of God's word, and, and therefore they they need to understand things like the doctrines of sin, and the doctrines of man, and the doctrines of the spirit, and the doctrines of the church, and even secondary doctrines uh, such as uh, future things uh, eschatology uh, you would expect your elder to have applied themselves to the study of God's word and to the study of wholesome and sound doctrine I would be very surprised there would be very few 18 year olds who have had the opportunity to apply themselves to that level of study but even more so, they need to be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, they need to have come to a place of maturity, not only in their Christian life, but also maturity in the way that they conduct themselves so that they can rebuke and contradict false teaching as they see it around us. And friends, there is so much false teaching in this world. Um, I mean, just uh, false teachers and false living and false teaching abound within the church of South Africa. And we want elders in local churches who, who can conduct themselves with excellence, hold themselves with uh, uh, above repute and be able to talk of the things of God in a way that people understand and then reject those people um, who are rejecting God and rejecting his word, even uh, in a public forum. Um, Dorothy, does that mean that an 18-year-old under no circumstances can be an elder? I'm not actually saying that because Paul does say to Timothy in another place, uh, calls him a younger man and encourages him to be bold and to remember the calling that he has. Uh, it's possible, um, although unlikely, uh, that Timothy was a young man. Uh, it's very unlikely that he was 18. Uh, Jewish young men uh, would have been young all the way up to the age of about 35, which interestingly enough, I can remember from watching a, a news article a couple of years ago, but the ANC Youth League um, has members that are even older than that. And so uh, young is a very relative statement. I, I don't think Timothy was that young, um, but he certainly would have been considered a young man by the culture around him in terms of in terms of this word uh, presbyteros, elder, being an older man. And Timothy encourages him even in the midst of that. So I'm not saying that there isn't a possibility. I think of I think of men that were just peculiarly gifted of God, such as Spurgeon, who entered into ministry at a very very young age. Um, but I don't think that that is normative. I don't think that that would be the normal expectation. However, each local church needs to approach this and approach men who they see potential in um, carefully going through 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and applying those confidence, uh, those qualifications with care uh, to men who would stand up and lead God's church. Um, 
I want to just uh, greet a couple of people that have greeted us as we've been speaking. Elise uh, is uh, listening while doing the ironing, which is pretty cool. So we've had people doing the washing, people doing the ironing. And she says, thanks for a lovely program. Uh, and she also is in Boxburg. Lovely to be with you this morning. Uh, greetings from Belinda. Uh, and then a couple of questions that have come in from Teresa. Uh, Teresa, long-time listener, always good to be with you. Um, Teresa Maxwell, who is in the sound booth at the moment, uh, says that he has tried to call a couple of times, but no luck. So maybe we can just uh, check the studio line and make sure that that is up and running. Uh, I see that the studio line is being answered. It might be that we have a caller uh, on the line shortly, um, but not working. They're looking into the technical details. In the meantime, uh, let me tell you how you can get hold of us and uh, Teresa maybe you want to just try dialing in again I really would appreciate that but um, l- let me tell you how you can get hold of us uh, this is obviously a questions and answers show uh, real time <laughs> real questions from real people about the real church of God uh, this morning we are looking at God's design for the church in South Africa which is why we started off talking about what is the church and we started off uh, with Dorothy's excellent question in terms of an 18 year old uh, serving as a pastor in a local church um, you can send your questions your comments and your interactions uh, into the following spaces you can use the phone in the studio it is 012-334-1322 and I'm really looking forward to telephone calls this morning so it's a new year 2022 uh, start by Uh, giving us a call. Uh, I would love to hear your voice and love to hear your questions live on air this morning. Uh, You can also engage with us on Facebook. The Facebook um, uh, place to go to is Radio Pulpit Radio Console. Uh, We are streaming from there. Um, I have also posted the stream uh, to my own personal uh, Facebook pages. So Pastor Mark Penrith or Mark Penrith on Radio Uh, uh, on Facebook uh, should also have the public stream uh, for this morning Uh, you can also get hold of us on WhatsApp or Telegram Um, the WhatsApp number is 082-657-2729 you can twit uh, you can twit you can tweet us on Twitter and that is at 657 AM looking forward to engaging with you uh, this morning uh, friends, as we uh, enter into the the next uh, conversation, it says that our telephone number, uh, just in terms of technical, is currently busy. Um, uh, so I'm not too sure what that's about. But um, uh, greetings and have a happy new year. We get from uh, Teresa. Um, Eileen asks, can a woman be a pastor? I'm going to answer that um, shortly, Eileen. Thank you very much. Uh, Teresa asks the following questions. How did prophecy look like in 1 Corinthians 14 versus how it should look like now in the church? <laughs> that is a wonderful question. Can't wait to work through 1 Corinthians 14 together with you live on air. Uh, verse 29 and 30 says, please clarify those two verses. What is the difference between a revelation and a prophecy? That's a great question, Teresa. And verse 39 says, we must desire to earnestly prophesy. And what does that mean? A desire to preach or desire to hear God's voice. Thanks in advance, Teresa. 
uh, tricksy questions. I'm looking forward to answering them. I'm looking at the time, and there's like 13 minutes to the hour. And so, Teresa, I think we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 14 in the second half of the show. Um, Eileen, can a woman be a pastor? That is a fascinating question, and uh, I, I want to answer it. I'm going to answer it, I think, primarily from the book of 1 Timothy, from the book of 1 Timothy, and I'm going to look, Eileen, at chapter 2 and at chapter 3. So 1 Timothy, chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's a great question, um, and I'm going to work through those uh, up to the hour when we will take our break. So in 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, we have Paul beginning a discussion about worship uh, in the church uh, worship in the church and so uh, it's it's a discussion about prayer um, that's what it starts off in verse 1 let me say as we come to this question Eileen um, I, there are multiple different views there are there are varying views in terms of a woman being a pastor um, one view is that yes sure a woman can be a pastor we read in the book of uh, Galatians as well as in Ephesians of the equality of men and women and therefore if men and women are equal then surely they can do equal things and that includes what they might do within the context of the local church however I think I'd like us to work through what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 fairly carefully and then we'll cross over to 1 Timothy 3 where I think things get even more explicit in 1 Timothy 2, in verse 1 to 4, we have this discussion of prayer. So it's worship. Uh, it's uh, it's how we go about praying. Um, Paul says, listen, I, I want, um, first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions, as well as thanksgivings to be made for all people and for kings and for those who are in high positions. It's one of the reasons why we end off our shows each week um, by stating that we will be praying for folk in government, we will be praying for folk uh, in every area of service, uh, public service within the context of our country, South Africa. And he says in verse 3 that this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. He doesn't leave the discussion of of worship. Um, if you cast your eyes down in terms of the text to verse 8, he says, I desire that in every place men should pray. Now, now this is very important because what Paul is saying is this isn't contextual. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. If Paul only wanted this to be of relevance to Asia Minor and to the city of Ephesus and to the gathering of believers in that particular city, um, Paul would have said, I desire that people in your local church or people in the congregation of Ephesus um, should pray. But he says, I desire that in every place men, and it's a it's a very explicit word in terms of the original language, uh, it is it is men, it, it is gender-specific, should pray, that they should lift up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, and here we have a conjunction, a conjunction in language joining together two ideas, um, and this particular conjunction is quite important because it plays a part uh, in, this, in the next chapter where we discuss um, can women be deacons, which is 
possibly a follow-up question uh, to your excellent question, Eileen. He says, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but but with what is proper for women who profess godly work, uh, godliness with good works. And let a woman learn in uh, quietly and in all submissiveness. He then goes on, and this is in the context of corporate praying, right? So it's in the context of of praying within the context of the corporate gathering. It's in the context of encouraging men everywhere to hold up holy hands and pray without anger or quarreling. He now says that uh, women should learn quietly with all submissiveness. He goes on to say in verse 12, I do not, and he clarifies, this is so so that you might know exactly what he's saying. Um, and this is an imperative, it's a command. Uh, this is a command in God's word. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And so, very particularly in terms of the word pastor, if we're talking about pastor in terms of church leadership, a person who exercises uh, the role of pastor or of overseer or of elder within the context of the local church, Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 12 in the context of corporate worship uh, that women are to learn quietly with all uh, submissiveness and then he does not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And so it would be inappropriate, according to Paul, uh, for a woman to exercise authority over a man or in that pastoral role. If by pastor you mean a person who shepherds the souls of other people, a, a person who comes next to other people in terms of a of a functional role rather than a church office well that might be a, a different conversation a nuanced conversation uh, that we can talk about um, as an offshoot to your original question um, but Paul goes on and he explains why because one might think okay but isn't this a cultural uh, exclusion that Paul has put down so in other words uh, in Ephesus or in the Roman world uh, in Paul's day and age this was a requirement because that was the way that they did culture but in our day and age 2022 um, our culture has changed and therefore we need a telescope uh, Paul's argument and women can have freedom in our day and age well Paul gives the reason why this is his requirement in verse 13 for Adam was formed first and then Eve friends the reason why women are not to exercise authority over men particularly in the context of the local church according to Paul anyway has got nothing to do with culture and it's also got nothing to do with the times that we are in he casts himself back to the very first chapter of God's word. He casts himself back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and he says the reason why this is so within the context of the local church is not based on anything that's going around on around us politically, socially, economically, culturally or whatever that might be. It's about creation, created order. It's about the way things were made by God. <laughs> this is God's design, not Paul's design or Mark's design or anybody else's design. This is God's design. Uh, God has designed uh, and given man a particular role. Now one might say, but then are men and women unequal? Um, you know, is man 
<laughs> men and women equal, but man's more equal than women in that he can be a pastor of a local church and a woman can't. No, that's not exactly what Paul is saying. And um, Paul, like the whole of God's word, would affirm over and over again the equality of men and women. However, <laughs> Paul, as well as God's word, would affirm uh, a compatibility between men and women, that we have been designed and created with different roles in mind. So for example, (laughs) men cannot give birth. Women can give birth. In fact, Paul appeals to that in verse 15 of 1 Timothy 3. We have different roles in terms of what we do in procreation. Um, Men and women in God's word are assigned equality and yet functionally we are given different roles within the context of our families. Uh, The man is to perform the role of a loving husband. A woman is to form the role of a submissive wife. Um, We can say our culture doesn't agree with that, but what you can't argue against is the fact that the Bible does affirm that um, as its stance. Um, And so we would say men and women are created equal within the the eyes of God. We are equal in terms of salvation, which is particularly what those texts are speaking about in Galatians and Ephesians. And yet we have different roles to perform both within the context of our homes as well as in the context of God's church. I see we've got four minutes to go until we're going to be going um, for a short break. Um, What I want you to do, Eileen, is just turn over the page to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've already discussed this, this passage in some detail. I just want to talk about it again. It says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task and again we have uh, a gender specific language he desires a noble task Um, more gender specific language in verse 2 therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife and as we go through the rest of the text um, over and over again we'll see that Paul anticipates those who will be appointed as elders within the context of the local church uh, to be men who are qualified according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. I do want to greet a couple of other people who have um, who have uh, who have sent messages onto the show. I see Stephen uh, says, Good morning, Mark. Happy New Year to you and to your family. Lord bless you in all your ministry in Pretoria and on Radio Pulpit. Thank you so much, Stephen. And Stephen is the father uh, of a very good friend of mine, Michael Lear, who is out at Springs Baptist Church. Um, but Stephen, uh, you've become a friend of mine as well over uh, the last couple of years as you've been listening into Radio Pulpit. And as we have had the opportunity to meet at Good Neighbors Bookstores uh, and elsewhere, uh, please do send on greetings to your family uh, as well. Folk, this morning we are talking about God's design for the church, a guide for African pastors and ministry leaders. We're going to come back to our conversation about Conrad's book after the break. I do want to encourage you um, to engage with us. Uh, If no one is able to dial into the studio line on 012-334-1322, which is how I would like to give the book away. If no one's able to dial into the studio line, then what we will do is we will um, give out... Oh, I've got another number for you. Thank you so much to Tech Support. Folk, I, I want to I wanna give you a, a second number to try. It is 012-333-86... 
9-9. You might want to get a pen and write that down because after the break, we are going to be taking your calls and I'm going to be giving away books. I can't wait to do it. 012-334-8699. We're going to go to a short advertisement break and I look forward to chatting to you uh, in a short time. Well, friends, it is Good to be with you again live on air this morning as we speak on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. You are joining myself, Mark Penrith, as we speak on Table Talk. And Table Talk is your opportunity to join the conversation. The intention is to be a Q&A show, uh, live time, uh, real time, uh, real people, real conversations uh, about the church. This morning we are talking about God's design for the church a guide for African pastors and ministry leaders. There was something of a glitch um, in the first hour of the show. Uh, Number one, I wasn't able to see folk that were uh, engaging on Facebook, so I do want to send a shout-out to Jennifer Van Vaek, as well as Dorothy, as well as Gay, as well as Susan, and others who sent in uh, friendly comments. Uh, Thank you guys so much uh, for interacting. If you are watching... On Facebook right now, it is a great time to hit the share button so that your friends and family can hear some good conversation regarding questions and answers from God's Word. The second glitch was the studio lines. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what went wrong there, but the good news is our studio lines are now open. I'm looking forward to hearing from a caller shortly. Let me give you the numbers. You can write them down. Uh, 012 334 uh, 1322 and the alternate line is 012-333-8699. Friends, the lines are open. I'm looking forward to hearing you. Uh, we will bring in our first caller now, Tommy. It's good to hear from you, brother. Hi, brother. Good to be with you. Hey, and I just want to say thank you so much to yourself and to Imprint uh, for the kind donation of the books, uh, Conrad's book, uh, God's Design for the Church, a Guide for African Pastors and Ministry Leaders. I've enjoyed talking about it for the first hour of the show, and I can see it's going to fuel discussions for a couple of weeks because a number of questions have come in um, over the last short while. Um, yeah, I mean, why this book, Tommy? Uh, you could have printed, uh, I have no doubt, many books. Why, why did you uh, select this book in terms of printing from your organization? Yeah, so thanks for, for having me, Mark. That, um, that's a good question. Um, so we think it mostly books on, on church um, and how to grow a healthy church. And I think one reason was that I, I, we were just convicted about the, the structure of the book. Um, I think it's a it's a great book. It's similar to um, the Nine Marks of Healthy Church that we discussed uh, on on here before. Um, I just saw some of the content and I, and I just thought that man, this is kind of an extension on that. He, he discusses the the same thing uh, on Nine Marks of Healthy Church, but he's got so many other chapters that are mm. are really helpful um, in, with regards to to, to church life. Um, just a matter of, of how to spiritually grow your church or numerical growth, how to relate to other churches, um, how to train other pastors, how to raise money for your church. So it, it's just a, it's so, so good. And secondly, 
it was an, uh, a fellow African brother that wrote the book. Ah. We uh, get, get so used to being dependent on areas like America or Europe, which I'm grateful for, but I think it's time to, to go back to our roots where theology comes from Africa. So uh, we, we're working hard at that. We've been translating some of the American books, but we also at imprint, uh, we're training men um, and giving and equipping them to, to write their own books uh, on the church specifically. So those are probably the two biggest reasons why, um, why we printed this. Hey, and uh, obviously the third one has been our partnership with Crossway, uh, which I've been thankful for. We've been receiving thousands of, of books from them in partnership with them. So, yeah. Of course, uh, Crossway are the guys that publish the English Standard Version. Uh, they're the publishers mm-hmm. behind that. Um, but maybe to pick up on a couple of things that you've said, uh, you know, kind of getting back to our roots, uh, the African roots. Uh, I mean, when, when we think of even the Bible, uh, we have massive connections to Africa in the Bible, whether it be mm. Moses in Egypt, <laughs> you know, kind of North Africa, whether it be in the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch, or even the yeah. elders in the really first sending church, major sending church of Antioch. Uh, we have at least two African uh, uh, names uh, included in terms of the leadership of that cosmopolitan city. Um, when yeah. we think of the early church fathers, Augustine was an African. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think of we think of such great theological roots in Africa. It's wonderful to have a theologian who's writing so prolifically because this isn't Conrad's first book, and it's also not his first yeah. book that I've read. It's, it's great to be connected to Conrad. And maybe to make two connections uh, in terms of the book, the quality of the book, and and why I'm really advocating for the book. And number one is Conrad is African. The analogies in here just resonate with me. Uh, I mean, he talks about checkers, you know, rather than you know an American who might speak of Walmart. And he 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 talks about he talks about brying rather than barbecuing, and he talks about rugby rather than American football. Um, you know, he he he, he's an African, and he he speaks (laughs) in language which resonates with my heart. And so I I can definitely uh, commend that part of the writing uh, of the writing process that Conrad has gone through um, but the second thing is is its relation to the nine marks of a healthy church now I've often said when I arrived at Crystal Park Baptist Church I arrived with my Bible in my right hand um, rightly so because uh, surely our ecclesiology must be built on God's Word but yeah. I arrived with a copy of uh, nine marks of a healthy church which is written by a, a guy called Mark Dever uh, both you and I know Mark uh, very well um, uh, kind of either in my rucksack or in my left hand and nine marks of a healthy church was instrumental in terms of me understanding biblical leadership biblical theology you know conversion evangelism um, all of these things from a church perspective Mark Dever was incredibly helpful now when I started reading this book I thought it was going to kind of be nine marks of a healthy church with an African flavor but Conrad yeah. has done so much more than that I, I mean in oh, yeah. some ways he's elevated the ecclesiology dis- uh, conversation um, beyond where, where Mark had lifted it to. Uh, let me give you some of the, the chapters um, in God's design for the church. What is the church? Sh- who should be in church membership? Uh, what is the role of church members? Who should lead the church? 
Uh, what about baptism and the Lord's Supper? What should happen during our worship services? How should a church raise its money? Um, should your church be involved in missions, in training pastors? How does church discipline work? Uh, does it matter what your church believes? How can your church grow spiritually, numerically? Um, how should your church relate to other churches? How should your church relate to the state? I mean, that is yeah. the question of our day. Um, how does the church offend or please God? And how can you help in reforming your church? Uh, Conrad has kind of written the 21 marks of a healthy church, and they are excellent. I mean, I, 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 I read quite a few books last year. I can truthfully say that this book got me the most excited because I could immediately mm. see the practical ramifications of having a excellent ecclesiology textbook written mm. uh, by mm. an African to Africans to God's praise and glory. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Tommy. No, that that's, that summarizes it well. Um, one, one thing, just what you mentioned earlier about the writing style, Something that I found really helpful was the American writing style is they're very concise. So they pack a punch in like one paragraph. Yes. But Africa is a storytelling culture and Conrad's really done well to explain things uh, in a circular argument that, that he starts and then he brings it back. And the book is really, it's written well, but it's written in a way that anyone can understand it not scholarly, even though Conrad's a brilliant scholar, uh, but it's it's actually for everyone. Um, I know the title says a guide for African pastors and ministry leaders, but it's actually for for your average good, healthy church member as well. Um, I I say to our church members at Dakinus Baptist Church all the time, say, yeah, go read this book, because uh, then you know what we as elders, what we need to do to equip you for the ministry, uh, as Ephesians says. And if you know what we need to do, you can assist in us in this. So it's actually a book for anyone that, that wants to grow in, as a healthy church member as well, which I appreciate. Well, Tommy, uh, thank you so much for calling in. It was really, really good to hear from you. I, I do want to keep the lines open because I'm hoping one or two other callers yeah. will come in. I, I'm hoping to give away five copies of the book uh, today live on air. Uh, the way that uh, listeners can qualify for a book is by phoning in and asking a question about the church, whether we answer it, whether we have time to answer it or not uh, in this morning's show uh, remains to be seen. But if you Call in and ask your question live on air. Um, I will put you back to our sound engineer and uh, Maxwell will take your details and we will get a book to you. You've heard it commended by Tommy and you've heard it commended by me. I'm looking forward to chatting to you live on air, listeners. I, I will give out the numbers for our open line uh, in a moment. Thanks, Tommy. It was good hearing, hearing from you. Folk, um, even as... Uh, even as we continue uh, toward the end of the show this morning, I, I do want to say hi to Penny Strait, uh, who uh, sends in a greeting. Uh, she says, Mark, I've been busy in the kitchen. So we've had uh, folk washing, we've had folk uh, ironing, and we have folk in the kitchen this morning. I get that as South Africans, we're probably listening in from a whole host of places. So whether you're at work, whether you're in your car, <laughs> whether you are taking care of your kids, whether you're going for a walk and listening to the live stream, whether you are washing, ironing or in your kitchen, it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, Penny goes on to say, and Penny is a long time listener. Penny, it's always lovely to hear from you. Um, 
she goes on to say it's great to have you back live and a shout out to Jean and Neil in Vitbank too. Uh, happy and blessed New Year's to you uh, and that comes in via Facebook. Uh, another comment um, from uh, Jennifer, morning Pastor Mark and all the rest of the pulpit family. So wish to run as fast as I can for a copy of Conrad's book. Jennifer, let me give you the studio numbers. I can see that the studio line is hot right now. Um, the numbers are 012-334-1322 and 012-333-8699. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, we now have a caller who is about to come live on air. It is good to hear from you, Desire. Um, and you are calling in from Johannesburg. Uh, Hi there. I can hear you. Hello. Hi there, Desire. It's uh, good to hear uh, from you. You're calling in from Joburg. Yeah, it's Desiree. Oh, Desiree. Okay, my, my bad. Sorry. Uh, I, I, I apologize. Desiree, it's lovely to hear from you. So, so basically, what I just wanted to find out is why do you think so many people are not uh, going to the churches any longer besides it being COVID? Oh, that's a... That's a great question. Uh, Desiree, I'm, I'm going to put you back uh, to our technical control and uh, they'll get your contact details. I'm looking forward uh, to getting a book to you, um, but I'll answer your question live on air if that's okay. That's wonderful. Great stuff. Thank you for the question, uh, Desiree. So Desiree asked the question, why are so many people not going to church? Well, I, I do think that that would probably be a very multifaceted answer, um, a complex in many in many ways. Uh, I've been reading some research coming out of the states over the last uh, six months. Um, I'm thinking particularly of uh, research which was compiled and put together by the Barner Group, um, and then um, uh, some commentary which was done on top of that by a commentator called Tom Rayner. And there they talk about a whole host of reasons why people have been leaving churches. Um, over the last 10 years, the church has been in steady decline within the context of the United States. We don't have as good research and statistics and numbers in South Africa, but I can certainly, um, from my perspective, say why I think so many churches have been shrinking rather than growing. And and maybe to note, that's not the, that's not the absolute common experience of all churches uh, certainly the church that I was pastoring uh, out in Benoni Crystal Park uh, has experienced consistent growth uh, for 11 years uh, consistent incremental growth uh, and we praise the Lord for that um, and I'm aware of many other churches which have grown even through the COVID period um, but why have why is there at least a perception and, and probably a reality that churches have been shrinking within the context of South Africa? I would say one of the reasons is a changing culture. And so there was a time where culturally we as a people in South Africa uh, would consider ourselves Christians. We were just like the, the common question if you asked a person, are you a Christian? The, the Christian, they would say yes. And if you asked them the question, when did you become a Christian? They would say, I was always a Christian or was I, I was born into a Christian family. That was the common narrative that came from most people. I think that that has changed within the context of our country, that few and fewer people are saying I was born into a Christian family or answering the question, I am a Christian just from a cultural 
reality. And so there's a sense that our culture has begun to shift. Uh, Western culture, largely, whether it be Europe, America, or even South Africa, has shifted away from commonly calling themselves Christian to now being far more secular uh, in terms of the way that they are constituted. Let me go on to say, though, that it's not just purely a cultural reality. There's a spiritual reality, too. I think many people who claim to be Christian um, previously uh, were, in fact, uh, not believers, hadn't put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And so because they weren't believers, when things like COVID hit, <laughs> it was so easy to leave the church um, because they weren't believers in the first place. They were neither members of that universal church. And so whilst they might have attended a local church from time to time, or even faithfully, uh, they weren't connected to it in a spiritual sense. And so uh, we see churches emptying where a focus was not placed on the gospel or where there were as many goats in the pews as there were sheep. And so to answer your question, why are so many people leaving the church? There certainly are uh, cultural reasons. There certainly are spiritual reasons. And then let me say COVID has played a part. I, I mean, the reality is um because of state legislation and because of so many other reasons um, folk have been impeded from attending church for the last two years it's crazy, two weeks to flatten the curve has become two years to well, we're pretty much where we were state of emergency, can't wait for that to be lifted um, but even as we say that, uh, I do hope for a revival in our country, a revival and appreciation for the gospel the gospel message and for people to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the church becomes something that you want to go to. Your Bible becomes a book you want to read. Um, spiritual songs become something you want to sing. Everything changes uh, when revival comes to the heart of individuals and when revival comes to a nation. And so that's what I think we need to be um, thinking of and praying for. Uh, Desiree, that was a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. We're going to go to a second caller. Uh, Maria from Benoni, you are live on air. Thank you for calling in. Good morning. Thank you for receiving my call and a blessed new year in the name of Joshua Mashiach to all of you. Well, it's lovely to have you online. What is your question? Thank you. My question is just a short question and I'm not really clear on this matter. Okay. Seeing that the, seeing that the Pope of Rome is considered to be the leader of the Christian population globally. Um, he uh, obviously is then uh, uh, appointed to appropriate censure within the church, but with the Pope not acting on the child molestation uh, issue in the Roman Catholic Church, also not in other denominations and Christian religions, who would then apply censure to the Pope? Hmm. Maria, thank you so much for your call. I'm going to put you back to our technical, uh, to Maxwell, uh, who's on technical uh, this morning, and he's going to take your details. Uh, would you listen to the answer live on air? Will do. Thank you. Thanks for phoning in. It was great to hear from you. So Mar Maria asked a question relating to the Pope, uh, relating to censure, like who censures the Pope. Now, guys, i got to tell you, uh, for those that are listening in, I'm on shaky, shaky ground here. Um, in that, I am not a Roman Catholic. I am a Protestant. Um, and I'm going to explain the difference between Roman 
Catholics and Protestants now. Uh, and so I can hardly comment <laughs> on the Pope in Rome um, because I wouldn't recognize him as the head of the church. I'd recognize Jesus Christ uh, as the head of the church. And Jesus definitely doesn't need any censure from anyone. Um, but in terms of what is a Roman Catholic and uh, and uh, uh, what is uh, what is a Protestant? In the 1600s, uh, there was a um, there was a, uh, a theological debate, altercation, uh, between a man named Martin Luther and uh, between the Roman Catholic Church of his day. He pinned 95 theses to a door of a, a castle church in a city called Wittenberg and um, protesting against some of the excesses that he saw in the church of his day the Roman Catholic Church amongst those included things like indulgences and things like the role of the Pope um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church consider uh, the Pope to be a successor to Peter um, based on Matthew chapter I'm going to go with 18 and we can look that up uh, even as I'm speaking and as a result see him as the head of the church um, Martin Luther protested that and began what is known as the Reformation. The Reformation in reality spilt out um, spilt out across the whole of Europe, um, giving rise to the Reformed Church in Geneva, giving rise to the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. Uh, I'm going to go with Matthew 16 now. Um, giving rise to uh, eventually the Anglican Church in England. Uh, people jumped on a boat. The Puritans jumped on a boat and went to America and we have the Baptists in the North America which gave rise to Little Mark in um, south of uh, of Africa. Um, but but really what it comes down to is a reclamation amongst the reformers uh, for scripture alone as our guide rather than scripture as well as the traditions of man. Um, grace alone as what saves rather than grace together with the law. Faith alone that saves rather than faith and works. Um, uh, Christ alone that saves rather than Christ together with a host of other intermediaries such as Mary and the saints. And that ultimately all these things are to the glory of God rather than to the glory of man. Um, uh, that was the cry of the Reformation uh, as opposed to the Roman Catholic Church of its day. Um, and so, uh, to be honest with you, Maria, uh, thank you for the call, but, but I have no clue who might censure the Pope in Rome in that I literally come from a completely different strand uh, of the church. Uh, see salvation different and see uh, the church completely different uh, to the way that uh, that that might work. Uh, we're going to go to another caller. Sibongile is calling in from Cot Colton View. Sibongile, thank you so much for dialing in to Table Talk uh, this Friday morning. You know how are you? I, I'm really well, thank you, <laughs> and I'm kind of excited. I I, I love New Year's, and I, I'm looking forward to 2022. Um, Sibongile, you have a question uh, that you want to ask, or a comment, or an observation. Yes, uh, I just want to know, uh, as I, I've been listening as you were speaking about the um, church, now what I want to check is that as a believer, mm. what is it that you must expect from the church? What is it that you must expect when you go to the church? Mm. What is it that you must expect? Can you expect to... When we are in church, maybe for 14 years, for 15 years, mm. it is it is odd for you to be uh, uh, in, in leadership, even though your works 
or your, 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 the way of doing things doesn't speak to that. That is why I want to check what is it that you must expect when you are in church. Okay, so can I just clarify your question, Sibungile? Um, because I heard two. One is, what can we expect from the church in terms of in terms of what the church is? Uh, us as believers, what can we expect from the church? And then you had a second question relating to leadership. Uh, can you maybe just clarify that question so that I, I really understand it? What I want to check is that when it comes to leadership, mm. what is it that is it makes a, a, a church member to, yes. to, 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 to be appointed to a leadership area. Ah, yes. Okay, so Sibungile, those are excellent questions. Can I ask, can you stay on the line? Don't put your phone down. I'm going to put you back to Maxwell and he's going to get your contact details so that uh, I can get a book on the local church to you. Okay, so please do stay on the line. Sibungile, and I'm going to answer your questions live on air now. So Sibungile asked two questions. One is, what can we expect from the church? What can we expect from the church? The the reformers, and we can go back to the Reformation, uh, were actually quite helpful in this regard, in that they clarified the marks of a healthy, of a good church. And it came really down uh, to just a few. Uh, They said that a healthy church is based and built upon the preaching of God's word and the right exercise of the ordinances and church discipline. Um, Over time, uh, it is true that we've come to recognize that a church uh, is made up, uh, in terms of definition, is made up of a whole lot more than that. But let me begin by just talking about what we as believers can expect from a local church gathering uh, when we come to a gathering. We can expect to hear the word of God preached, hear the word of God preached and faithfully preached. When you go to church on a Sunday, you should not expect uh, to hear story time, (laughs) a list of stories from your pastor's life. You should not expect to hear um, a list of prophetic utterances which are totally disconnected from the word of God. You should not expect to hear um, the psychologies of man. What you should expect to hear uh, is um, God's word um, faithfully uh, faithfully read and faithfully explained and then faithfully applied into the lives of God's people. So you should expect to hear the word of God preached. You should expect to hear the word of God read. Uh, as we come to the New Testament, we see over and over again the public reading of scripture was so important jesus read god's word when he went to synagogue he opened up the scroll of isaiah and in the book of acts we see uh, that god's word was read um, and the epistles were written to local churches and were intended to be read i think of the epistle of either ephesians or colossians those two epistles go together uh, hand in hand Uh, and at the end uh, paul says uh, please do read the other one Um, and uh, read this one and when you're done pass it on and and read the other epistle um in your context uh, it makes uh, uh, so we expect to hear the word of god 
preached. We expect to hear the word of God read. We also expect to hear the word of God sung in our corporate services. And so we sing to one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and that needs to have an important play an important role in our church services. Uh, we expect the word of God to be sung. And so uh, if our songs and our hymns are devoid of any scriptural truth, well, then I don't think they playing the part uh, that scripture intended um, but certainly worship um, and by that I mean musical worship and corporate singing should be a part um, of our services we expect to hear the word of God prayed uh, we should be praying in our corporate worship services at the beginning of our worship services at the end in benediction uh, call to worships before we preach uh, pastoral prayers there's so many times and in so many ways that we can pray we should be adoring God with our prayers we should be confessing our sins corporately with our prayers we should be thanking God with our prayers and coming before God with supplication and making known uh, our needs uh, to God with our prayers we should hear the word in uh, preached we should hear the word read we should hear the word sung we should hear the word prayed uh, what else we should we should see the word of God and we should see the word of God in the ordinances the two ordinances which Jesus Christ gave to his church are baptism and the Lord's Supper and those are visible representations um, uh, they are opportunities for us to remember our connection with Jesus Christ and our connection with the church they are God's word on display as we hear the testimony of another believer before they come to the waters of baptism um, obviously I'm advocating here for believer baptism by full immersion um, or in the ordinances as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup we remember both the death of Jesus Christ but also that our Lord and our Savior is going to come again to judge the living and the dead and so we should see the word of God uh, in our services. When you put all that together, I hope if you're listening at home and you're not attending a church uh, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that, that you are kind of inspired to go to church this Sunday because <laughs> you're realizing that you're missing out on something. You're missing out on the fellowship of believers uh, as well. You, you, you're missing out on the means of grace that God has given believers that we might be built up in this most holy faith. Sibungile from Colton View, thank you so much for that question. You had a, a second part of the question which was related to church leadership and if I understand it correctly it was related to how long a person might have been around can they expect to automatically come into church leadership and the answer to that is no um, the the mechanisms the the mechanisms for who qualifies to be a church leader is is laid down for us in God's word in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to 9 uh, together with the rest of that chapter where it speaks about deacons and very probably deaconesses which is something that we will talk about toward the end of the show if we run out of questions uh, and then in Titus chapter 1 and the qualifications for the elder for the overseer for the pastor of local churches um, is biblically defined a person who's blameless above repute in other words it's not a person who's just old <laughs> it's not just about how long you've been at the church it's about your spiritual maturity and your ability to teach both of the qualification lists in 1 Timothy as well as Titus chapter 1 uh, contain the ability of the man of God to teach God's word to God's people and refute those who teach error. Uh, we have a call in. Uh, it is Maria from Benoni. Maria, I think uh, we spoke to you a little bit earlier. Earlier, It's good to have you back on. Thank you. 
Sure. Um, I have a follow-up on the question um, that I posed to you. Yes. Um, is it possible then that the great fall away that we no- that we notice beginning only beginning in the church now mm. was actually started by the Lutherans apologizing to Pope Benedict about Martin Luther's error? Yes. So when you talk about the great fall away, are you talking about, uh, I guess, Revelation chapter 13 or you, uh, in terms of Babylon, or are you talking about Revelation chapter 3 in terms of Laodicea? The complete fall away. Okay. The complete fall away. Uh, uh, and are you talking about Revelation? You're talking about Matthew 24, yeah, all, 25 or no, Daniel? All, all, all the chapters that speak about the complete fall away okay. within the church within both these both yes. two lanes sure. the complete fall away is it possible that when the Lutherans yeah. you, you speak that you are on a totally different branch yes. than I'm, the Roman I'm, I'm, a, I'm aware branch? of what you're talking about yes so okay. Ma- Maria possible? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question live on air but can I ask can you just yes. hold the line the technician yes. is gonna take your details I'd like to get a book to you okay so just Stick on the line. He's going to take your details in order for us to post uh, okay, a, book, a book to you. Thank you so much. He's <laughs> okay. taken it already. Cheers, Maria. Let, let me answer the question for you. Um, so what we have, uh, Maria is asking a question related to the church. And so uh, I think now is a good time to answer it. I'm going to answer it as best as I can. But in reality, she's also, I mean, it's a complex question because it's about future things. Um, you can read about some of the passages that I'm going to refer to uh, in Daniel, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 25 and there around uh, in terms of Christ's discourse on future things. And then in the book of Revelation, as you change gears and go past well actually I guess chapter 3 of Revelation and as you go into the rest of Revelation so Maria's talking about a great falling away of the church and she's referencing two points in history the first point being the reformation in the 1600s Martin Luther and the second being a capitulation of the of the Lutheran church and maybe a, a kind of like a, a drawing back to the Catholic church which seems to be a contemporary move amongst the ecumenical church Maria, I can only answer this from my theological position. Uh, I'm what is called, uh, these big words, you can look them up on Google, a dispensational pre-trib premillennialist, um, which means I'm looking for a period uh, in, in history to come where first the church will be raptured, and second, there will be a tribulation, and that tribulation will first be a, a three and a half year period, and then a great tribulation uh, toward the end, uh, and finally a return of Jesus Christ uh, to earth, uh, a judgment, a setting up of a millennial kingdom, the kingdom of David for a thousand years, uh, and then a great white throne judgment followed by an eternal state, a forever and ever joyful. Um, connection and communion with Jesus Christ and celebration of God forever and ever. With all of that in mind, uh, as I think of your question, um, and it might be that you want to engage and interact with me uh, offline, the great falling away which we see in the in the books and the chapters which I've mentioned, um, I see those as a future event. So if you think things are bad now, my belief is that they are going to get incredibly bad as we come to the end of the age. And and make no mistake, I can feel the end of the age coming. I mean, you can feel 
feel the rumblings of history uh, as as things come towards the ultimate end uh, and and the fulcrum of 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 history and the return of Jesus Christ. But I do believe that there will be a great falling away and that that will happen particularly in terms of the way it's revealed in Scripture uh, during that tribulation period. That doesn't mean that the church isn't a mess right now because, <laughs> Maria, you and I both know that the church is certainly in a terrible mess. Um, but sadly, I think things are going to get terrible. That's not a real word. But um, but it is to imply that things are going to get worse and worse over time. But the next event in unfulfilled prophecy is the rapture of the church. Uh, and so whilst the letter to the Laodiceans was written to a real church at a real time, and you can see their lukewarmness and the threat of Jesus Christ to spit them out of their mouth, um, and in some ways that's reflective of the church even in our age, uh, I do believe that the next event in unfulfilled history, church history, uh, is to come and that will be the rapture of the church. I hope that helps um, and if you'd like some more information or more discussion, Maria, you are more than welcome to contact me. Uh, my contact details, I think, are available on the Radio Pulpit website. Thank you so much for phoning in from my old hood of Benoni. Uh, we now have Dorothy who is on the line. Dorothy, thank you so much for phoning in. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Hello, sister. Is this Dorothy Morisella. That's correct. Ah, it's so good to hear your voice. Thank you so much for phoning in. Thank you, sir. I just want to switch off the radio. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, while you switch off the radio, maybe just to say that Dorothy has been engaging on Facebook for uh, at least okay. a year now with me. And so this is the first time I've heard her voice. It is good to hear your voice, Dorothy. Thank you so much for phoning Thank you. in. Thank you very much. I'd like to know, why do we have denominations? Mm, why do we have denominations? Oh, that is a wonderful question, Dorothy. I'm so glad you <laughs> asked it. Such a practical question. Please do hold the line so I can pass you back to uh, Maxwell, who will take your uh, contact details. I'm looking forward to getting this book to you. I know it will serve you well. Uh, thank you, sister. Thank you very much. I'm going to answer your question live on radio now. Uh, why do we have denominations? Why do we have denominations? Well, friends, we have denominations for a number of reasons, um, not least because man is sinful <laughs> and because, uh, and because uh, uh, power uh, often corrupts. And so certainly one of the reasons why we have denominations is because of the sin of man. Um, but there are practical theological reasons why Christians have denominations as well. Um, for example, um, most of our denominations come at Come, a, come across or come around due to theological difference. Let me give you an example of the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, back in the day, and I'm going to take a guess, you'd think my church history, I'm going to have to brush up on my church history after the show. But back in the day, and I, I'm talking about way before the Reformation, so um, not quite the year dot, but maybe around, I'm going to take a guess at 1200 AD, but I guess I can look this up uh, while I speak. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church um, broke away from the Roman Catholic Church over literally <laughs> a single, a single uh, uh, a syllable uh, in a uh, one of the great uh, confessions of faith. Um, so whether or not the Father uh, sent both the Son and the Spirit, or if the Father sent the Son and the, and the Son sent the Spirit, became a great 
debate amongst the church. And so the Eastern Orthodox Church broke away from the Roman Catholic Church in terms of difference of theological opinion um, over... Um, over that question, uh, over that great debate, and I have in front of me the um, the, the uh, an article about it, and I'm scanning through it, and I can't see offhand in terms of a date. But I, I, as I said, um, I was going to go with uh, around 1200 AD. The, the next great schism within church, and there were always um, differences within the church. I, I think of before Reformation times, there were there were groups such as the Hussites who followed the teachings of John Huss who was a pre-reformer reformer he held to a very orthodox gospel I think of the Waldeans uh, who were pre-reformation and another group uh, we were heavily persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church um, another group uh, which had um, uh, which had uh, uh, schismed off from the church but really the great divide happened in the 1600s as Martin Luther rose uh, in prominence in Germany um, and protested against things like the Roman Pope, against things like uh, clerical abuse, against things like indulgence, which is really selling salvation on, against things uh, like salvation being faith and works as opposed to faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. Uh, and there we see the Lutheran Church, which is what Maria was speaking about earlier, um, coming off and out, coming out of the Roman Catholic church movement. Uh, after the Lutheran Church, we have another denomination started by John Calvin in Geneva, uh, and Calvin really took uh, Martin Luther's teachings and the teachings of the Lutheran Church and continued Reformation. Um, continue. He was a prolific writer, uh, wrote commentaries on, on most of the Bible, with the exception, I think, of Revelation, um, and, uh, and in the Old Testament, I, I think the book of Esther rings a bell, but uh, uh, he wrote commentary on most of of uh, of scripture um, and the ref and the reformed church which um, the three sister churches in South Africa the Kerk, the Hervormde Kerk and the Gereformeerde hmm, Kerk uh, would all pay homage to um, under Martin Luther was a man called John Knox uh, he was a Scottish reformer he went back to Scotland and started uh, the Church of Scotland which is the Presbyterian Church which Interestingly enough, comes from that word presbyteros, which means elder. Uh, they believed in a plurality of elders governing the church. Uh, slightly different to the way that uh, Reformed Baptists practice it. Uh, they have synod or they have a uh, some kind of synod uh, which gathered. Um, and the Reformation continued in England. And so in England, we had a partial Reformation and the Anglican Church uh, rising up. Uh, the Anglican Church uh, kind of being Reformed, but not quite as Reformed as the Reformed church or as the Church of Scotland uh, and being a state church of the Church of England. Uh, within the Anglican Church uh, at a stage in history there was a real revival uh, a revival of spirit, a revival uh, which which really swept the church um, and that was really led by a man named John Wesley um, and if you know John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley a great hymn writer, the two of them uh, came and uh, and started what became the Methodist movement and later the Methodist denomination um, around the same time uh, men started to to preach 
uh, and they refused to be licensed by the state. I think of men like John Bunyan, who was locked up in the Tower of London, and while he was locked up, wrote that great book, Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan was a Baptist. He believed in full immersion baptism. He was reformed, uh, so he believed in the doctrines of grace, um, and congregational in nature. And, and this denomination started to be known as the Baptists. I mean, even before the Baptists, you had Anabaptists around the time of the Reformation, and then the Congregational Church. And so it starts iterating out, uh, often on theological, for theological reasons. And so often when people ask the question, why are there denominations? They're asking, um, and they are implying or they believe that maybe denominations are wrong. But let me say that I think that denominations are necessary. Some division is necessary on theological grounds. It was necessary for the Protestant Church to divorce themselves from the Roman Catholic Church. It was necessary for the Baptists uh, to divorce themselves from the Anglican Church at the time. Um, and so denominations are, are merely a mechanism for defining um, more often than not theological um, theological um, a consensus amongst a group of people. Baptists, I mean, this is interesting, would not call themselves denominational. Uh, we would say we're not a denomination um, in that uh, we are each church is a local church. Uh, we don't actually have a denomination where we come together and caucus and uh, and make decisions in, in one kind of pot or have anything over and above a local church in terms of um, uh, oversight over us. And so we don't have the kinds of structures that the Anglican Church or the Presbyterian Church um, uh, or the, the Reformed Churches in South Africa have in terms of synods and, uh, and what not. Um, but Dorothy, that was a marvelous question. I hope that you've heard the answer. Primarily it's on theological grounds that denominations have come into being um, and it's not necessarily bad, although we should ultimately aim to base all on, we should we must ultimately aim to base all of our beliefs on scripture uh, where those beliefs differ we find denominational um, uh, denominational lines uh, which separate churches however where churches have common belief in terms of the person of Jesus Christ a high view of scripture uh, in terms of uh, how a person is saved uh, we would find engagements and interactions never mind what denomination a person uh, holds to and so uh, particularly on the East Rand I've enjoyed uh, good relationships with uh, a brother uh, Brent from an Assemblies of God church with a with a very close brother um, Andrew Butterworth from God First which is a reformed charismatic church as well as from uh, a close friend um, uh, 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 Rocky uh, Stevenson who's from a Bible church and so um, where there's agreement in terms of the key principles the principles of first importance um, uh, there certainly is opportunities for churches to engage and to interact with one another whether they're in a specific denomination or not um, we have another caller uh, coming in. Gogo Hanna is on the line. I can see that the switchboard is all lit up, which means that there's a number of callers. We only have 10 minutes of the show left. And Tepelo's tep, uh, uh, question, no, not Tepelo, Teresa's question on 1 Corinthians 14 and prophecy still awaits. So, uh, Teresa, we might have to put your question off until sometime I get to speak to you in person. But let's switch now to Gogo Hanna, who's calling in from Benoni, another long-time listener. It is good to hear from you, sister. 
Good morning, Pastor Mark. <laughs> How are you doing? It's lovely to hear your voice. I miss oh. you. <laughs> I'm also happy to hear your voice. I've been listening to the pro- the broadcast. <laughs> Lovely. I've been listening on you when you're on holiday. It's good to to have you back. Ah, uh, thank you so much, Google, yes. and thanks for the uh, encouragement. Yes, uh, I just wanted to to ask uh, one just one question. Sure. About a member, this young uh, people, you know, once they've given, as you said, uh, is that question that said uh, who can be a pastor. But mm. I'm just worried about the, the these young people, they come to church and they give their life to the Lord and then they, they fall. Mm. But mm, the encouragement, so where should, they, what is the role of the church in encouraging these young people? Because what I notice is that once they've fallen, they seem to be forgotten. Nobody like is even mentioning their names or mm. saying something, you know. So how do we encourage them? Yes. To you know to well, continue holding on to the gospel, what, to, to their faith. What yes. an excellent question, Gogo Hannah. I'm going to ask if you can just stay on the line so that uh, we can get your address and I can get a book um, to you. I'm going to answer your question live on air. Okay. Thank you very much, Pastor. Great stuff. So Gogo Hannah asks, young people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and then enter into the covenant community of a local church and then fall into sin. And that sin could be various. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, young people, uh, you know, from experience, uh, I've seen will often fall into sexual sin. So maybe a young lady. Uh, has fallen pregnant and this has become public knowledge or, or maybe a youngster has you know started going to college and their affections for the church have changed and they've stopped attending church um, how can we as the church community encourage them well let me say uh, Gogo Hannah that it really is important that we do encourage them uh, we need to be a community of believers. We need to love on one another. Uh, I, I think of the one another verses in Scripture, just as an aside, uh, and there's at least f- 54 distinct one another's in the New Testament, like love one another, carry one another's burden, greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, uh, we are so encouraged to be a community which loves one another in very practical ways that we can't leave um, our youngsters uh, on the side of the road fallen um, without coming next to them and carrying their burdens and, and helping them along. So very practically, how does that work? Well, I think Titus uh, chapter 2, if I'm not mistaken, would talk into that quite well. Uh, in Titus chapter 2, we have um, we have Paul commanding Titus to teach what is in accordance with uh, sound doctrine. And then he goes on to say that older men are to be are to teach younger men, older women are to teach younger women, and he talks about this this inter this this uh, uh, environment of a local church being one where where particularly older people are taking care of younger people or engaging with younger people, and so for yourself as a gogo um, 
as you think of your local church community, which I know and love very well, um, my encouragement to you would be where you see youngsters who are struggling in the faith, you, you need to reach out to them. Now, you can reach out to them in a host of different ways. Can I encourage listeners who are prayers to pray, particularly for the youngsters within your community, for those who you haven't seen for a while, and be praying fervently. Um, for the Lord God who has started maybe a good work in their lives to see it through to completion. Um, if you hear of a youngster who has fallen into sin, pray for them. Um, pray pray fervently that the Lord God would restore them. Um, it should hurt us when we hear of brothers and sisters falling into sin. Um, and it should shame us when we do nothing about it. And so as far as we are able, uh, we do need to reach out to those who are in our ambit of care. Uh, let me say for those for those who have fallen who are part of your family, uh, whether that be a child or a grandchild, you bear particular responsibility to, toward them. I'm thinking of uh, Lewis and... Uh, I forget his grandmother's name, uh, of Timothy, who, who cared for him as a young man. Um, we bear particular responsibility to our own family. Uh, and then beyond our family, we bear particular responsibility for those who are in maybe a, a Bible study or an accountability group with us. And then members of our local church, adherents of our local church, and then to all Christians in general. Um, where we can help people move toward Christ-likeness and sanctification, we certainly need to do so. Uh, thank you so much for the question, uh, Gogo. I really appreciate it. Um, and it was lovely uh, listening to your voice. I'm looking at the time, folk, and it's four minutes to go to the hour. Uh, we have time for just one more question. It is a relevant question. It is JT. It is the last book that I have. Uh, it'll go to JT. Uh, JT, is he live on air or is this a written question? Thank you very much, Maxwell. It's a written question. I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> it is, JT wants to know where he can listen to more of your lessons and where they can come and see you if possible. That's actually quite a cool. Thanks, JT. That's a, that's a cool question. So let me say I, I pastor a local church. Um, it is Central Baptist Church, which is in Pretoria. Uh, you can find Central Baptist Church by going to <laughs> Google and typing in Central Baptist Church. That's how we find everything in this world. Uh, type in Central Baptist Church. And uh, on the Central Baptist Church websites, there's locations of the two campuses, uh, which Central has. One is in Arcadia, and the second one is near Olympia. I'm still learning Pretoria. Is it Swanstall Sprite? Something like that on the east near fairy glen and and those areas i'll tell you what next week i'll come in prepared to answer questions like this um but secondly you can listen to previous sermons that i've preached i previously pastored a church crystal park baptist church which was in benoni uh, those sermons are available on youtube as well as on that church's website future sermons will be available on crystal park Bapt uh, on central baptist church pretoria's website and then uh, from this week certainly and possibly for previous shows i'm going to be working hard <laughs> to get the podcast sorted out and so we'll be podcasting uh, these shows out um, uh, and uh, on behalf of the team at Radio Pulpit, uh, together with sound engineers and others, I do say thank you for the encouragement, JT. I, I, we really appreciate interacting um, with the audience of Radio Pulpit on a Friday. It's always great fun to hear your questions and to engage with you and to speak to you and to look at God's Word uh, together with you. 
Friends, I, I do want to say that our prayers, as in every week, go out to all the elders, along with deacons who hold the line in local churches all over our country, as well as to the missionaries of local churches who serve in foreign fields and abroad. Um, prayers for and much respect to our first responders in our country, to our police force, to our defense force, to those who dispense justice, to our firefighters, to our paramedics, to our nation's nurses and medical personnel, as well as correctional facility officers, as well as for those who serve in the judiciary and in every sphere of government in South Africa. We, we do pray for you. You've been listening uh, to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously. God bless. So I just do what I must do and trust.